Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield. Jordan Foote and Josh Geis are joining me as always. Josh, have you recovered from the habanero peppers last week? I have. It took me about uh, 15 minutes to get the pain off of my tongue. And then the the day after had some complications as well, but we're going to get <laughs> past that and move past it just like the, the everything moved away. And, uh, and yeah, we're good, good to go and, and ready to roll. Jordan, how are you, dude? I'm good, man. I'm excited. It's uh, ironically, like we, we've been generally tried to lean a little bit positive, just like not make people get more depressed about how bad the Royals have been, but they've been winning mostly as of late. So um, even more reason to keep the trend going and actually talk about some winning baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, seven wins in a row, week weeks worth of wins. Uh, that was a a nice little nice little boost for all of us, and they're winning as we're recording tonight in Boston. Before we get to that, uh, did you guys catch the uh, the Jake Paul Nate Diaz undercard? Yeah, the Jose. Oh, not the undercard. Anderson. Sorry, I did not. Uh-oh. No, the undercard what? was Nate was Jose Ramirez and uh, Tim Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> That was the it first round, not an actual fight, man. Yeah. Listen, like, I, TA is getting dunked all over, and I'm just going to keep it going. Like, you can't be the dude that drops gloves like a hockey fight, puts him up, and then you're the one that gets TKO'd. Like, you can't mm-hmm. you can't let that happen. He got the first one in. It's a pretty clean he shot. Mm-hmm. And then but. just, I mean, what a what a right hook from a... Uh, Ramirez. Ramirez. I heard uh, I the two best tweets and quotes I saw about that the fight was that was the hardest contact Tim Anderson has made all year, and Jose Ramirez uh, is the only dude in baseball history to up his con- his uh his hard hit rate on the field, not in the bathrooms. God, and one oh, another yeah. uh, silver slugger for the year. Yeah, that was yeah. Is that pitching? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the radio call. Of the the Guardians broadcaster, down goes Anderson, <laughs> all timer, absolute all timer to have the wherewithal to make that call in that moment, incredible. <laughs> Let's talk about the Royals before we do that. The show is always brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Uh, be sure to check them out if you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. Uh, you know, we got a, a few Royals that have had some connections there at KCS. We're going to talk to one of them later in the show. Guys, like I understand they lost two or three in Philadelphia, but to get that sweep a homestand, it's only like the third or fourth time that that's been done in franchise history. Um, I know the Mets are broken at this point, but to still take it to them the, the way the Royals did was really nice to see. One of the main uh, things that I took away from this past week was Cole Reagan's. Uh, obviously Bobby Wood Jr. has gotten nuclear, but we've we've talked about him, you know, last week, and I'm sure we'll talk about him at some point during the show. But Cole Reagans has had two starts since our last episode. He's had three starts for the Royals. Has <laughs> in three starts, 17 and two-thirds innings, 1.02 ERA, 1.46 FIP. So it's not like he's getting super lucky here. 22 strikeouts to four walks. Walks have been an issue for him for pretty much his entire career. So the fact that he's able to keep those under wraps is a, a really big deal. He, against the Mets, he went six innings, scattered seven hits, eight strikeouts, no runs, and then six and two-thirds on uh, the last night, on Monday night in Boston, 11 strikeouts, one wall, only two er- two two runs, one of them earned. I think the Royal, like, it's still kind of early, so there's still some hesitancy for me to, like, fully dive in and buy into what Cole Reagans is doing. But the early returns are fantastic right now. Like I know that everybody dunked all over the Royals for trading her all the Chapman as early as they did and then getting a post-hype kind of quad A guy. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how it was perceived. But he's come up and been one of the best pitchers the Royals have had all season. Uh, his, even his first start uh, in the doubleheader against Tampa, 
five innings, you know, one earned, three strikeouts. Like it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that fantastic where you're like, okay, maybe there's something there. And they have found there's two big things for me that give me hope. And it's not necessarily Cole Reagans. It's kind of adjacent to that. The fact that they, they grabbed a guy with a good fastball, like scouting good fastballs is something the Royals have not really done. And you see that with the, the lack of success guys have had at the big league level with some of the college pitchers that they take, they've taken fastball spin is in the 89th percentile average last night was second to, uh, uh Dave Oldsman tweeted average fastballs around like 2,500, 2,550, which is elite level spin on a fastball, which if he qualified at that point, that's second to Corbin Burns in all of baseball. And the fact that they come in and his cutter is not a great pitch, but it's been better now that they added the slider. And that was something that the Royals player development and the coaching staff in AAA suggested of, hey, Start throwing. Let's start throwing this. Let's see if it works. And the numbers on that slider, let me let me look them up really quick, but it's been one of his best pitches already. And he's only thrown it 27 times. He has six strikeouts on it. He's only given up one hit. Like, it's been... Look at one hit. Yeah, like, the called strike whip percentage is absurd. For uh, now, it's a small sample because he's just always only thrown in two starts. But batting average of 091. It's only been put in play one time. It's given up one hit slugging 091 like the like and the whiff percentage on it is 47 percent on 27 pitches that's pretty good so if you want something to look at if it's if you're still skeptical about Cole Reagans I totally understand it because I still am too I kind of some of it is just being a little aided and kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop when we see something so successful for a long time for the Royals but it's a, there's at least something you can grab onto, and I think it's more on the development side and the scouting side. Yeah, 100%. And I, I kind of caught shit for my tweet on Monday night, I want to say, and Josh kind of did too for the same thing. The Royals making an external acquisition with a new person as GM and a new person in charge of the pitching development at the big league level and some guys at the minor leagues kind of reevaluating what they've done, it's not the same old thing. Like, we have seen tangible results, but some guys getting better. Um, this isn't me saying write everything off as, oh, well, they know what they're doing because they obviously yeah. know that that's not the case. And Cole Reagans, I'm not buying into the hype yet. With that said, of those 27 sliders, he's thrown them against lefties 22 times. Uh, Andy Rogers, in her really good article, mentioned that he wanted an offering for them specifically, the left-handed hitters. It's working so far. There's probably a much easier way to calculate this, but I went through and tracked all of his four seamers since he got to Kansas city. He's averaging 96 miles an hour on that pitch. And this is a guy that has been through the Tommy John ringer. He's had injuries in the past. He has not always been able to maintain. Now he's getting up to the big league level with Kansas city. The velo's there. Like the fastball is a legitimate plus pitch for him. Makes the cutter look better. Like Joel said, the slider has been really impressive so far. Like for a guy that, Basically, they're like, hey, throw this pitch and see if it works, and it's working for him. Uh, it's been pretty interesting. So, again, not buying into the hype yet with him. I'm still skeptical because I was skeptical of the profile before he got to Kansas City, but um, it's hard to be anything but, I guess, encouraged or at least intrigued by what he's been able to do so far. And that, it's, it's interesting that the four-seamer kind of moves a little bit like a two-seamer. It's kind of noticed that. Especially with last night's start, it was moving a little bit on the on the arm side. Maybe he's adding potentially a two seamer as well. I mean, it's who knows what the what the uh, plan is, but at least it seems like there is a plan. And I think Jordan, to your point, that's what you're. That's the encouraging part about all this is there is succinct, actionable change that's taking place and is effective at the major league level, which is something we can't say since what Giordano Ventura at this point. So that's the thing that makes me most excited. No, it's not going to correct any of the bad things that have happened over the last decade, but it's something promising. I just didn't want people to lose sight of that. So Cole Reagans, yes, let's pump the brakes on him being a Cy Young staple, but boy, these first three starts, a lot of fun to see. Jordan, what were some of your thoughts over the last week? I think for me, and I'm going to keep this relatively short, I think like, we haven't talked about Matt Duffy since like the first week or two of the season. And 
we do this like rotating cast of, oh, we're going to talk about this guy. Oh, we're going to talk about this guy. And usually we try to highlight positives. I'm going to switch it up. Matt Duffy, man, in April, he hit 357 with a 452 Babbitt, <laughs> 500 slugging percentage. We were like, okay, he's going to fall off, but maybe he's going to be a decent player for the Royals and have a renaissance. May and June hit 226, had two extra base hits, 52 weighted runs created plus. The WRC plus since July 1st has been 52. He's hitting 227. Um, the exit velo's down. It's a career low. The barrel percentage is down year over year. Career high pop-up rate. He's hitting 182 against breaking balls and 143 against off-speed pitches. Like, if you want Matt Duffy to have success, throw him a sinker because he's hitting 545 against 82 of them. Everything else has been bad. He has been worth .1. Um, Fangraph wins above replacement. The power is non-existent. The on-base ability is only walking like 6% of the time, so that's not there. And uh, he has been playing since the All-Star break since July 1st. It's not like he has absolutely been stuffed on the bench. And on a team that's going to lose 100-plus, it doesn't really matter, and he won't be on next year's team, if I had to guess. But um, it is something worth noting. I was like, we haven't talked about Matt Duffy. People are probably wondering, like, what's he doing? And he really hasn't been doing a ton good. So hate to rain on the parade, but that is my uh, highlight slash thought for lack of a better set of options to work with. I think in his spare time, Jordan likes to go to the dog shelter and just laugh at the old dogs. Oh yeah. Does it <laughs> yeah. Not, not adopting anybody or even playing with them or helping out. He just sits there and points and laughs at them. His soul is dead. His soul is dead. Well, I, I have been smitten with this Royals offense since the All-Star break um, since then, and not including tonight when they're up 9-2. to two in the They're, they're banging up. the ball around, yeah. around Fenway tonight. So not including that, since the All-Star break, they are 11th in runs, 11th in OPS, 4th in line drive rate, 5th in hard hit rate, 3rd in K percentage, 30th in walk percentage. Um, that is the recipe that it seems like is, is meant to beat on this team. And it's a similar situation as what the Braves got to do. They like to swing a lot. They hit the ball a lot. They hit it hard a lot. They hit drive line drives a lot. They do not take walks for the most part. So it seems like that is the game plan. And it's been the game plan all year. It's been basically the same thing as far as like the hard hit rate, the line drive rate, the walk rate, the K rate, all those have been largely the same. And now the runs are starting to come in. I think it's because... They absolutely 180 with runners in scoring position since the All Star break. They are a 103 WRC plus compared to a 78 all year with runners in scoring position. It's a 755 OPS compared to a 664, a 20.5% K rate versus a 25% K rate, 9.5% walk rate to 8.4, hitting more line drives, hitting the ball harder. They're doing this, they're hitting with runners in scoring position. And by God, have we been waiting for that's still all those are very much in the middle of the pack still, but at least it's not historically bad, which is the way it was for the first month. So there's improvement there. They're scoring runs. They're carrying a team to if you include a night, the last 15 games are 10 and five or something like that. So there's a recipe there. The pitching has been there as far as the rotation goes. That seems like the big recipe that that's the plan moving forward. And I can at least see it now. You can see it in motion, see it working. So maybe you can go, you're going to add Vinny Pasquantino to this light up next year. Maybe you can go get a true corner outfield bat and really, really hit this offense in a hyperdrive. Some of these other guys might take some more steps forward. I think there's some upside, some more to, to untap here. But I think this light up could be something really, really special next year. Top 10 is not out of the possibility at all. So I think there's something to, to, to work with, especially since the Osprey with this offense for sure. Yeah, it's certainly been a lot of fun. And, you know, having a guy like Bobby Wood Jr., who has had so much pressure, the franchise on him for him to really start to come into his own and become the elite superstar player that we think he can be. Like, I, and it's not like Bobby Wood Jr.'s peak. Like, I think he's just scratching the surface with what he's doing. And there are others that are starting to kind of reach that potential as well. Michael Garcia has been great since the calendar turned to August. Michael Massey quietly has been very good since May. Uh, he was just so awful in April that the numbers just don't don't add up. But and he hit a home run tonight as well. And quite again, still fairly quiet. But MJ has been better of late too. 
So there's been a lot of guys that have, you know, started to see a little bit of a resurgence or just they're finally getting comfortable. It just, it's obviously too little too late given the record. But another guy that has been a legitimate surprise uh, and one of the best stories of the season is Freddie for me. Uh, two more home runs this weekend in Philadelphia in the game. He currently has a 134 weighted runs created plus, which I believe would be, I'd have to go back and I want to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure it will be the second best offensive season in franchise history by a catcher. Because number one, because number one is Salvador Perez in 2020. Okay. And then the 48 home run season in 21, which I believe he had a 123 or 121 way to run straight plus. So this is legitimate production. It's in 162 plate appearances, so it's still a small sample relative to where we are in the season. But he's a backup catcher, so he's not obviously going to get all of those plate appearances. But slashing 305, 342, 530, you know, striking out 21%, so it's not 1.7 F4, and he's solid defensively. He's 63rd percent uh, percentile in framing, 69th percent nice in pop time. He's everything you want in a backup catcher, and he's at producing offensively. Though the bar, you know, I understand the bar for like backup catchers and catchers' offense is so low that like, this is substantial, and I don't think we can expect a 8.30, way to runs created plus from from Freddie Fermin, but this could at least be something. And even if he regresses some in his league average, shoot, that's one of the best backup catchers in all of baseball. I have some thoughts on, okay. and this is not, let me preface this, this is not me buying into the hype with Freddie Fermin as a above-average, hashtag good, hashtag great 28-year-old rookie Big league catcher, future face of the franchise. Like, I'm not saying that. But my logic here is that they should. I'm proposing a platoon um, of Freddie Fermin and Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez this year against lefties has a 42 WRC plus, And he's striking out 27% of the time. He's doing well against righties. Um, Freddie Fermin is well over 100 against both and doing really well against both. The Royals need to figure out what they have in Freddie Fermin. It makes it easier to find out if he does well the rest of the way, you have more stock in him, you believe in him more, makes it easier to trade Salvador Perez. He falters a little bit. You have some things to think about. He is better, blocks above average, he grades out better, catcher framing runs, he grades out better, pop time to second base, he grades out better, caught stealing above average, he grades out better. Fangraph's defensive run saved. He's at zero. Perez is at a career worst minus nine. Like Freddie Fermin is trending up or staying the same. Salver Perez has been trending down since June, pretty much like April and or May. He got he was hot. Hurt yeah, time. and it's been bad. And this is like a recurring theme with him, where he starts off hotter. He has like a few weeks stretch midseason where he heats up and his body breaks down. And like as he gets older, those things don't get better. Um, so I think with all that in mind, regardless of if Fermin actually has the goods or not, and as a 28-year-old rookie, like everything seems like an anomaly with him, and the Babbitt luck is crazy, the expected stats. like He's going to come back down to earth at some point, but if he gives you better defense, clearly, than what Salvador Perez gives you, Andy's younger, Andy's cheaper, and the bat can be close to league average or right at league average, I think the Royals have a decision to make, and that also gives them a uh, better shot at figuring out what they have this winter and what they can do. I think the only, the major pushback on that is the potential for a Salvador Perez trade. Sure. If you march him out there and you're like, I'm only going to platoon because Fermin is so good, then you're going to, his stock is already going to be tough to to sell. It's going to be even tougher to sell if you're going to start platooning them in there. But I, I get the logic, and I completely understand that for sure. Um, I don't hate it, especially with Nick Prado coming back. There's going to be some at-bats that need to be opened up from somebody. I don't want that to be Fermin. I want him to keep riding this this hot streak until it's, until it's done. But something's going to have to get figured out here, I think, because you kind of have a tough situation between those two and MJ Melendez. If you think there's any potential that MJ Melendez can be a catcher in the future if the ABS comes and it doesn't really matter what his framing metrics are like, 
that's going to be huge if you're able to get anywhere close to what MJ Melendez has been since the All-Star break. Really, I mean, he's been fine from the catching position as far as the bat goes. So you kind of got to figure out what you've got there. And Fermin has absolutely entered into the contest to be considered as part of the future behind the plate for the Royals. And that is huge in and of itself. Uh, Regardless of what avenue you you have options, you can trade any of these guys and they probably bring you back something substantial depending on what the the contract and stuff is going to look like with Salby. Um, But that does probably need to get sorted out probably this offseason. And I don't know which avenue you would want to go down. You want to trust that MJ is is optimized after the ABS comes in and his metrics don't matter as much? Do you think that Salvi's on the way out and you can move his contract? Do you think for means 169 MLB plate appearances is something you would have bet on for the future? I don't know. Do you even think Melendez is bad as legitimate? Like, is he a big league yeah. player, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they have... Joel, do you have thoughts on Melendez before we kick to the I, uh, special I surprise? Don't. Like, I, I don't think he's ever going to catch again. I think they made that pretty clear. I think when they completely took it away from him in spring, sure. I think that was kind of the nail in the coffin for that. Even with ABS, I don't think that he, they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna do that because at that point, it's a, the bat value essentially has to be the exact same as it does behind the plate because it doesn't really. It like the defense isn't going to matter as much. It's not going to take pressure away from his ability to hit. He still has to hit. So I don't. I don't think it's going to be. I just don't think there's a situation where that happens. I think they're just going to keep sticking him out of the outfield and praying, and I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to do that either. So now we're going to go to our, we got a special interview here, a really cool one that Josh was able to do last week. Uh, so we'll go ahead and you can go ahead and reveal and talk about it, and we'll throw to it right after that. Yeah, we got Austin Cox, um, lefty out of the bullpen currently for the Royals, but he has started some games. Uh, good, some good little baseball nerd nuggets in there and some really good encouraging things uh, not only for Austin Cox's career and development, but again, the team and their approach to the development of pitchers is is starting to look up. And he he gave us some good little nuggets in there, as well as trying to get to know what he's about. So, um, kind of opened them up a little bit, gave him some goofy questions, but there's some definitely some uh, some nerdy questions in there that uh, should be fun for the whole family. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, here's Austin Cox. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. What's good, everybody? It is Ben Heisler from Benny and the Bets here on KCSN. And if you are ready to go the distance and improve your golf game like I am in the process of doing, I want you to head on over to PXG right here in Kansas City and take the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge. They are confident in the Gen 6 that they're putting their money where their mouth is. If their Gen 6 driver does not deliver more distance, more carry and roll, higher dispersion compared to your current driver when you go in for a fitting, they got you covered with a $100 MasterCard reward card. That's it. Go in for a driver fitting. See if your driver is up to their driver. And if it is, you get a $100 MasterCard reward card in the process. This is an unbelievable opportunity to upgrade your game with a custom fit PXG fitting. I've had it at the Kansas City store with Alex. It was one of the great experiences I've had in a golf fitting period. So take the PXG Gen 6 driver all throughout the month of August and get ready to hit those fairways with confidence. So visit your local Kansas City store or head on over to pxg.com for all the terms and conditions. PXG Nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Welcome back to One Royal Way. I am Josh Kaiser and joined today by a very special guest, Austin Cox, Southpaw for the Kansas City Royals is joining us for uh, for some time. Austin, we appreciate you joining us here today, man. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. We, uh, we've kind of been trying to get hooked up with the team and, and get some of you guys in here to kind of learn more about you, what makes you tick, and, and kind of go from a day-to-day. So, uh, we appreciate you joining us. And I kind of want to start from the beginning here, um, doing some research here. And I saw an interview with your parents, actually, uh, kind of around your debut. And they were telling stories about, you know, you coming coming up through baseball and kind of their experiences and stuff. And one thing kind of stood out was your dad told a story about when you were four years old, you asked your dad if there was anybody from Forsyth, Georgia, that had ever played in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. And he said that he wasn't real sure, didn't think so. And you said that you wanted to be the first one from Forsyth to play in the Major League Baseball. First off, 
shout out to you for having the foresight and the, the ability to dream big to to make that a possibility. I, when I was four, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. So that's that's <laughs> the differences between the two of us here. But I guess this, it mostly what was it about baseball when you were four years old and even now that, that kind of drew you to it and kept you going, kept you driving and uh, it kind of got brought you where you are today? Uh, I'm not 100% positive. I feel like it was just everything about the game I loved, even from a young age. Like, so I was a big Braves fan growing up and um, like the ins and outs of like, like Chipper was my guy. So like him hitting both ways and like, all of those types of things, like Smoltz, Glavin, uh, Maddox, like the big three, like that was, I, I just always was enthralled by baseball. Like it was just always like, it didn't matter. Like I, it, it changed with the season. Definitely. Like I definitely at some point probably told him that I was going to play in the NFL too. Um, but, but for the most part, baseball was always that love and passion. Like it just, it, it always was where I found myself like at home, I guess. Like I, I always felt like I was like me on a baseball field. That makes a lot of sense. And did you were a football player back in Forsyth as well? So I went to high school in Macon, Georgia. So it's like okay. North, but um, I did, I played football in high school and then, uh, but that was it. I, I, I wasn't very good at basketball. So that one was never, I never said I was going to be in the NBA. Yeah, sure. What's, what's the position of football? So I was a quarterback for three years. Uh, we ran the option and I wasn't very fast. So <laughs> we'll meet a receiver because in the option the receiver is basically a glorified tight end and, yep. and um, I was so I was a receiver my senior year. Played a little bit of defensive end my senior year too. Oof. Yeah, that's versatility. But it does seem like every every MLB player that once played baseball seems to be quarterback because uber athlete makes a lot of sense. Strong arm, yeah, kind of fits. Yeah, fits I could sure. throw it. Yeah, I, I bet that's run. true. Couldn't run. You you were a uh, you were a uh, round peg in a square hole in the option. It seems like exactly exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to baseball here and you kind of talk about. We've heard, uh, I think Alec Marsh talked about it in the preseason, the kind of the differences between the developmental approaches. You don't have to get super specific or anything here, uh, but what was kind of your differences between how you've developed or approached development uh, with your, uh, even with your jump to the major leagues this year? What has been the di- the big difference between your developmental approach between last year, the years prior to that, to this point? Um. I felt a lot of it was no longer chasing the numbers. It was more like the ERA. It was more chasing what's going to succeed at the big league level. Um, y- you know, I had an okay year last year, and there was just a lot of conversation that was started by me. It was started by our pitching side, get Paul Gibson, um, you know, S- Sweeney when we got into camp, uh, both all of those guys like it was kind of everybody was kind of diving into hey what's next like what what is it that is gonna get you to the next level and I felt like there was just a, a really good plan like it was no longer like hey everything's good keep doing what you're doing like you're putting up decent numbers like it'll turn it was Hey, this is what we see for you. This is what we think you need to do. Like it, it was very cut and dry. Like, and and I was talking to um, a guy that owns a baseball facility in in Atlanta, and we were just talking about how like minor leaguers as a whole. If you just if you said go run into that brick wall five times and it'll get you to the big leagues, like they're gonna do it. They're minor leaguers. Like you're you're wired that way to like if they give you something to go get like you're going to do everything in your power or you're going to give out doing it um and so it was very nice like the plan like we got a plan in the off season of like grips and movements and all that stuff so i was able to spend the whole off season all of my bullpens gearing towards what they wanted like what they saw as me being successful at the big league level and I feel like that was that was really the big difference of the the start I was able to have early in the yep. year and when I got called up, for sure. And then it's the hard work is paying off for sure. And it's interesting to kind of kind of hear that 
because we know that you did spend some time at Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. They are a day one sponsor of the One Royal Way podcast. So we are also very good friends with them as well. And that kind of made us curious. And it's just something we've always been curious about is we know that you guys kind of seek personal training and personal coaches that might be a little bit closer to where you're living or where you're wanting to spend the off season. So how how is that related back and coordinated back with the organization? Are they pretty hands-on? Is there are they hands off? Has it been different from how it's been or what, what did they have you working on? Or if, if, if it's like coordinated through you or how much input do you have? on? So it's a little of both. Um, at the beginning of the off season, they ask us for the contacts. So the strength department asks for like John at KCSC's number. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll have a call with him, talk through his program, add in anything that the Royals feel like is needed. Um, and then on the pitching side, Eli McFadden was at KCSC. He's now at AA in our organization, but he was big on reaching out to whether it was he has connections with pro scouts. He has connections with amateur scouts and all these guys. So he was big on like reaching out and seeing like, hey, this is what they gave you, but this is also what I'm hearing. Like and combining it, he he would talk with guys in the organization Um like Paul Gibson, they would come by, watch a bullpen in the off season, uh, those types of things. And he would communicate with them and say, Hey, like, you know, this is what we're working on. What do you see? And so that communication was huge. Um, Eli was able, Eli was always a guy that was just very upfront and honest with me. Um, at the beginning of the off season, he just looked at me and he was like, Hey, your stuff's average right now. Like we have to do something to separate you from average. Um, and he's like, that's also what I'm hearing from pro scouts, amateurs, everybody like they, you, your mentality is great, but your stuff's average. And so we worked really, really hard this off season on separating that. And that was, I feel like the big, big jump that I was, that I, I kind of was able to make this year. And, and, um, but yeah, there's a lot of communication on both ends. Um, I was very, very pleased with Eli and how he was able to communicate with everyone and, and kind of move help move me in that direction and and that whole situation is very fluid and even very much so still very fluid um communications always super super imperative here and it kind of makes me think makes me wonder when you guys go out there on a day-to-day basis and you can kind of speak for yourself here you're toeing the line between you know the day-to-day game plan but potentially like what you're working on person like your grips or your techniques or your movements or trying to keep things in mind as well as like what feels good for the day like it's always very fascinating uh game like balancing act that you guys are kind of dealing with so could you kind of speak to that a little bit is like what is it just as simple as going out there getting outs as best you can and moving on to the next guy or is it uh you know sticking to the game plan but also trying to see what works at this point so i was told very early in my pro ball career by um, Mike Sweeney mm-hmm. and then one day and he it was in a rookie ball and he was saying hey don't try to take everything in at once like that'll be like drinking through a fire hose and, <laughs> yeah. or, he was like take these things if you like it apply it if you don't stick it in your backpack and save it for later and you're just loading your backpack up for down the road for when you do get to the big leagues and it's okay let's start like like okay i'm struggling let's start filing through these things that could possibly help um but i think that there there's a fine line like you said to going out and just competing and also like working on things like trying a new grip in the game like finding the right opportunity to throw a pitch and and also just trusting the work that you've put in and i i think that's our staff is very very good with sweetie boats that all of those guys they're they're huge on yeah let's make some adjustments but when you get in the game do whatever whatever you trust is what you do like your stuff is your stuff trust your stuff um and then once you have worked on something enough to trust it, go implement it in the game. Um, they, they never will force us to like, hey, we worked on a new slider grip yesterday. You're in the game today against the, the Orioles, and we're going to try 
throw this backdoor slider that you worked on one time. Like that's that's never really the mentality. It's it's very much like do what you trust, and once you trust it, then you. Yeah, I that makes sense, and I did see a uh, a video and noticed that you were you struck out Shohei looking the other day. That was I bet that was pretty awesome. That was it was it was um it was a really cool moment. Uh, yeah. I, I bet that speaking of moments like. Do you have like a welcome to the big leagues moment that uh, that kind of stands out in your mind? The one that stands out to me would be my start against Cleveland. Um, Daniel Lynch and I had sat there and broken down their lineup the day before. He and I were just chatting through, like walking through their lineup. I was in the dugout. Uh, I was starting the next day. And we started chatting about, you know, their their whole lineup and then we get to jose ramirez and we start talking about uh things that he does things he does well and he's very good and if he gets beat by a pitch he doesn't get beat by it again unless it's like perfectly executed and and so dan told me that and i was like okay 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 so i get him the first time and he comes back up try to get him the second time with the same pitch and he hits the grand slam and that was one of the like it was like okay like these guys that are good at something, they're they're really good at something, and so that was that moment of like, wow, like these guys, it's it's a, it is a new level. It's it's different. That was I wondered if that was it. I, I did take notice of that too, but it is especially with Jose Ramirez. He seems to absolutely. I mean, he is like you said, one of the best, one of the best out there. But the fact that it just seems like he is a Royals killer. He could just <laughs> one of those dudes that just no matter what happens, no matter what game plan it is it's going for extra bases every time he hits the ball. So it just seems like he's definitely one of those. So I wondered if that was the case, but kind of going into that, and you mentioned the mentality earlier, you've, you've kind of come up and been a starter for most of your, you know, collegiate professional career. And this year you're kind of been asked to come out of the bullpen a few times. You've also started some games. You've been the bulk guy in some opener situations. So is it, is there a, ever a change in mentality whenever you're asked to kind of come from different places or is it purely just like get outs? There, there's definitely a different mentality. Um, at first, when I got called up out of the bullpen, um, the big thing for me was recovery. Um, I was very used to having four or five days in between my outings. Um, and so when I got up and was out of the bullpen, I was asking Scott Barlow, Clarkey, all the, the older guys that have kind of been here and done it, Clarkie, for example, like he used to be a starter, like he transitioned to a bullpen role in the big leagues. And so I was picking their brain of like, Hey, how do you recover? What are some things that you do? Uh, that was the first big transition. And then as of recently, the, the other big transition has been like pitch usage, like not trying to set pitches up near as much. Like so just throw your best stuff from the jump, uh, coming out of the bullpen. So that's kind of been the two big adjustments that I feel like, um, I've had to make, but all in all, the mentality is kind of still the same because as a starter, your goal is to keep your team in the game, give your team a chance to win. As a reliever, you come in the game, your goal is to keep the game right where it is and give your team a chance to win. So both mentalities are kind of the same. I think pitching in each situation is a little different, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I, I, that makes total sense. I, I love that answer for sure. Um, it, I would think that it, yeah, it kind of comes from the same spot, but it kind of executed differently. So, you know, that, that kind of sounds like what it's, what it sounds like, but exactly. kind of going back to your debut and working out of the bullpen, you kind of had those first few opportunities, those first few appearances where you actually set an MLB record for most batters faced without giving up a hit. I, I can imagine that not only since your opportunities are kind of spaced out, you were aware that, that was a streak and it was happening in real time so each time you entered the game what was in the was that like at all in your mind even in the back of your mind you it's like well it would be cool to keep this streak going but i'm just here to get outs but at the same time like it's pretty cool this streak is pretty awesome what's is it ever like on your mind at that point so at first i don't think i really realized it until after I, I guess I tied 
the record mm-hmm. in that yep. that one outing before we went to Tampa. Tampa, yeah. And after that, like I saw a couple of things about it, and then in Tampa, it was my first time being like the vault guy. Like I knew kind of the game was in my hands, so that was more the focus there. And then I remember, I think I got into the third inning of work, like my third inning of work, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Like this thing's still going. And, and obviously in that fourth inning, they got a hit. And I was like, oh, man, like, that was pretty cool. I I had no idea, where, like, that I was close to the record. I, I, I really didn't. But it wasn't until, like, three innings into that game where I was like, hmm, mm-hmm. let's see how long we can just keep this thing going. Like, obviously, my goal is to keep the team in the game. If this thing falls – like, if, if the record falls off, I, I as long as I'm keeping the team in the game, I'm good. Um, but – yeah, it, it was it, it going into that game. I had seen stuff about it, and then obviously, it, it wasn't really at the forefront until like the third inning. I think I was like, "Wow." Yeah, I, I would imagine that when you make the you make your debut, and you're like, "Man, it would be really cool to go out there and throw a perfect game like right out of the gate." <laughs> so I, to kind of kind of do that in in like over a stretch of time is is pretty rad in and of itself. And then from a fan perspective, like it it absolutely kind of got us like more pumped and more jacked to kind of see you come to the game and here you go, like be the bulk guy is, was the plan was, was electric and, and an awesome moment for us uh, outside of that stadium. So I can only imagine what, uh, what it was, you know, leading up to the moment trying to be like, how long can we kind of stretch this? It's probably you're having fun with it at that point. So uh, it's kind of cool to hear. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the lightning round here. All right. So, do not be afraid of these answers, but we are going to ask you to kind of shoot from the hip as quickly as you can. But don't worry, this isn't about getting clickbaity sound bites or whatever. We're not trying to start any beefs in that clubhouse or anything. We might be trying to do that off the record, but it's. <laughs> well, let's get into the lightning round here. You and your wife announced the birth of your first kid, uh, mm-hmm. announced it back in May. So. Is your incoming and developing dad strength going to affect your pitching moving forward? Or do you have any worries about that? I sure hope it affects it. I would love to gain a couple of miles an hour on my fastball. <laughs> you got to worry about that command, though. That's you got to harness it, harness that dad strength. <laughs> this back in Double A, you were rooming with uh, Heasley, Bolin, Marsh, Parrish. If I'm mm-hmm. if I'm recalling correctly, right. you can't say yourself. Which one of you was the worst roommate? Oh gracious. <laughs> just say the name just say it. all right just let it give me think for just a second uh, <laughs> all right I, we never we only have one beef and it was our shower drain got clogged mm-hmm. and marsh was convinced that it was me so i gotta go marsh on that because he, <laughs> he got not meaning that i clogged the shower drain when i know for a fact i did not clog the shower drain i did have yep. to snake out though because i was the only one that knew how to snake out and drink <laughs> I love that's that is the typical like who's gonna do the worst job and that shower drain gets brutal sometimes from experience. Uh you said Chipper was your guy uh growing up. Is that the favorite player then? That's the epitome of yeah, Chipper was my was my very favorite player. Every night I'd okay. watch Crazy Train would come on and I'd get so excited. Yep. Love it. So who was better, George Brett or Chipper Jones? Gracious. I mean, George had the higher average, so I, I, I'd have to, and I, I, I can't go against George here. Yep, I was gonna say that might get you some hot water from multiple <laughs> sources, so I can, I can understand that. I, I grew up with TBS, and I, I mean, the Braves are my second team too, so I'm right there with you on Chipper. I really love them, and the, the pitching rotation back in the day was was absolute nails. So crazy, uh, right there with you. So the old adage goes: for hitters, chicks dig the long ball; for pitchers, chicks dig the blank. What do you got? I gotta go zeros. Yeah, love that. Zeros, great answer. What's the uh, what's the current walk up song and why? So in Omaha, it's "Bury Me in Georgia" uh, by Kane Brown. Obviously, I'm from Georgia. I um, very much owe a lot of who I am to Georgia and, and where I grew up. Um, here, I haven't I haven't selected one yet. Just because I I feel like I'm the new, still the new guy and I don't I don't really want to go out of my way to put anyone uh, 
to work but that that doesn't need to be so i just kind of go out there whatever plays i know opening or my debut the, my walk-up song was the kiss game so <laughs> hey I, everybody loves the kiss cam right i mean if that, <laughs> that doesn't get the blood flowing i don't know what does <laughs> so yeah the question she was going to be burying me in georgia right now um yep because of yeah, and I know you're a big country country music fan, so that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. It wasn't real sure if it was a Zach Brown band song that was that was top of the list or what, but uh, being from Georgia, it makes a lot of sense there. But last question here in the lightning round, we've we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the voices that come through the pitch comms, we've always wondered like if there was any kind of variance that you could choose a voice. What would be your dream voice to come through? We've talked about like. Samuel L. Jackson to kind of get the blood flowing. We talked about like Liam Hendricks because he's just going to be like yelling in your ear, get you juiced up. I've talked about Mark Wahlberg from The Departed, just that condescending uh, Boston accent to just kind of get you, get you motivated to do it. Is there, what's the dream voice that you would have on your pitch con to kind of get you ready for the moment? I'd go, I'd go Rip Wheeler from Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Get me fired up. Yeah. Big Yellowstone guy then, huh? I do. I love Yellowstone. The, yeah. uh, as much of a fan of the, the recent seasons, but but as a whole, as a whole, I loved Yellowstone. Watch it all the way through. Really excited for the rest of 1923. I yep. Yeah, I need to catch the rest of that as well. The 1883 just blew my mind. So it was uh, really cool to see. And I, you know, big Yellowstone guy myself. Share the same the same feelings about the last season of Yellowstone. Can I step it up there, <laughs> Sheridan? We need a little bit better. I agree. I agree. That's the that's the end of the lightning round. I think we've we've covered Marsh. We've got George Brett is in good graces. Marsh not going to be in great graces, and Taylor Sheridan is now uh, now on the hot seat. So uh, that's what we've learned about Austin Cox here on the episode of One Royal Way. Uh, check out Austin Cox on the mound uh, near you. But uh, Austin, we appreciate you joining us for the day, and uh, hope hope to see you next time. Well, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Be sure to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Thank you all so much for uh, for tuning in, and thank, and thank you to Austin Cox for, for coming on and talking to us. 
Josh, what was your favorite thing that he talked about in that interview? Um, we, we've talked about it before. I think it was last year. We were talking about the dream voice in the Pitchcom devices. Yes. And he kind of sneaky. I, I mean, I kind of gave him some of the example answers that we, and he was pretty quick. He came up with a rip from Yellowstone. And I thought that was the Ooh. perfect. I mean, that is the, that is a great, a very iconic voice. And he's got just enough of a tone to, to kind of get you juices without get you too, too hype. So, uh, very, not even like thought of answer. It was a very set and, and confident answer and it was perfect. So he kind of blew me away with that answer, but uh, the whole interview was just really, really fun. So yeah, shout out to Austin Cox and the time he gave us and um, looking forward to, to watching his career grow for real. Hey, first career save over the weekend in Philadelphia. Yeah. When, when they threw Carlos Hernandez out there in the seventh inning, I'm like, oh my God, who's going out there for the eighth and ninth? What is going to happen? And he gets Bryce Harper to roll over uh, on a breaking ball, double play, NC inning, and wins the game, extends the winning streak. So big one for Austin Cox there. That, that's awesome. Yeah. So we have not talked, just due to time constraints, the last couple of weeks have been so busy. We have not talked about the minor leagues at all. So we're going to devote the last about 15 minutes or so of this episode to that. And mine, I'm not going to start us off on a bright note, boys. I'm just telling you. Um so Frank Mazzucato is in high A now in, in Quad Cities. And it has been terrible. I'll just I'll just call it what it is. It, it's been really bad. Uh he has an eleven point seven two ERA in seventeen and two thirds innings over five starts in Quad Cities. Twenty strikeouts to eighteen walks. And he's got 105 strikeouts to fifty two walks on the season. It's almost two to one, which is not where you want it to be. And like the walks are have been kind of concerning all year, but now it's to a level that is like, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to not have that issue. Like we're kind of getting to that point. And the other thing that concerns me is he's still throwing like 8990. He's 20 years old. This is the second full year in a major league program, strength and conditioning, all of those things. And like, and you can see him overthrowing, trying to get up, and it's like ninety ninety one. That's just not going to play. Like he he gets enough induced vertical break and spin that like there's still some deception there, and like it might work. But again, it's a massive might, and it just it gives me such bad Foster Griffin nightmare vibes. And I'm like, it's another lefty with some pretty good secondaries, but they. Or throw, they're a pie throwing lefty. That's a first round pick. Like it just, I have my concerns. Like I'm, I'm getting legitimately concerned after being a lot more optimistic about him early on in the year. And I, unless he can get the velo up into the even to like 93, 94, like he has to be able to do that to play. Like I just don't think his like his velo as currently pres- as presently constituted is not going to work. And I, I'm worried about it. Yeah, I think, I mean, totally understand that. It's kind of an earned reputation with the Royals starting pitching development, so it, it is a bit scary in that way, but we do need to keep in mind that, what is this, five starts? It's five starts, uh, but I think the it's the walks, and there have been multiple sure. clips. Shout out to Preston Farr from, uh, at Royals Miners over Royals Review. There have been multiple clips where you can see him try to reach back for something extra, and it's like 90. Like, oh, dude, that's... That's not great. And it's not like it's 90 at the top of the zone. Like, it's 90, and he's almost throwing it to the backstop, hitting the bull. Like, mm. it's not great. Yeah, I haven't watched any of this, and they have his starts there in high A, so I may have to go back and do that, especially in the offseason. But, yeah, something to, keep, something to keep my eye on for sure, just considering how many apples are in that basket. Uh, we'll have to figure that out. But I, I do want to talk about something that's a little bit, I don't know, encouraging is probably the right word, but it's also a little bit questionable is uh, there were nine promotions across the minor leagues yesterday. And it's the time of year to kind of start making that. Once you kind of got the draft class, kind of a few repetitions at rookie ball, you kind of start to see quite a bit of movement. Uh, today had some roster casualties to kind of make room for these, yeah. uh, for this draft class. But there were nine promotions yesterday that include Gavin Cross, Caden Wallace, Javier Vaz, and some of the big um, kind of, under the radar, but really big surprise pitchers uh, running through those lower minors. They got some nods. Uh, Gavin Cross has very 
bad. We'll say bad. Bad year. He's been bad. He has. Yeah, straight up bad. He's still walking. So I, I guess that's why they were comfortable sending him into uh, Northwest Arkansas. But he got the nod up. Uh, Caden Wallace also walking fine. Not striking out a ton, but still only slashing 253, 333, and 347 over the last 30 days. Uh, Javier Voss has kind of come back to the earth in the last few days, but he's still walking. So I think that that, that is a major trend, especially among the hitters, that if they got a good strike zone recognition, that they kind of start getting fast-tracked a little bit more. So I think that that's potentially the biggest reason. That's <laughs> the biggest justification, I guess, as to why they got it. So, um, yeah. Just, I, I went back to July 1st. What do you guys think Gavin Cross's way to run creative plus is since July 1st? 57. I was going to say 62. 66. Mm. Damn it. Yep. For a first-round pick that you expected to tear up IA, get to double-A, and we're looking at an outfielder of the future in 2024, like... And now, the, to be fair, the strikeout rate is only 22% in that time. Mm-hmm. And when he makes contact, like, he hits the holy living shit out of the ball. Sure. Like, that's not a concern. It's just a matter of making contact. Mm-hmm. And for a dude that was, a, like, you know, college signed, and a lot of his, like, there were some strikeout concerns, but I didn't think it was going to be this dire. No. Especially at this level, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 578 OPS in high A as a 23-year-old. That's a problem. Yeah. I, I think... Wonder- Go ahead, Edward. There you oh. go. <laughs> um, do you want to dance? No. Yeah, I, I think there are there are reasons to no one's hitting the panic button quite yet, like spamming it. But like Joel said, twenty three year old high A not producing, like or you're walking okay, that's fine. Oh, twenty two. So but still, either way, like still. a guy that was the experienced college bath that you're bringing in with like a high floor and a quick accelerated timeline, like he could have an accelerated timeline, but if he doesn't produce and they keep pushing him up the ranks, then people are going to be like, okay, well, they're just doing it to do it. But I, I do think, and I, I don't have data to back this up. It would take far too long to look it up. There's probably some intrinsic value in just like, hey, go start new somewhere else. He wasn't quite that bad, but like he was pretty close. Like he was bad. Not bad enough to where they were like, okay, we need to shut you down and like, figure out mentally and like break it back down to comp. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't that bad, but moving a guy up from this level to double A and saying, Hey, let's see what you got. Probably not gonna ruin him quite uh, even close to it. I don't think it's not gonna be one of those type situations. But if he doesn't catch on by the end of the year and show some sort of sign of life, gonna be some questions heading into the off season. Like if the Royals have this track record of first round picks, you go back to Mazzucato the command and control were always question marks. He was walking a ton of guys still um, in Columbia, but he was striking the living shit out of everybody. Now that's looking bad, like not good. And the Royals history of first round picks is pretty bad. So um, the pressure is on for Gavin Cross to step it up. I'm not aware. I wonder if it's like they did kind of did it with Prado at the beginning of the year. They called him up when everybody's like, he's not doing so hot. His flash line's not doing so hot. And he was still, he kind of hit the ground running when he hit him. Same with Alec Mars last year from double A AA to triple A. His stat line in double A last year was putrid. Went up, did, had some starts in Omaha. It was absolutely, you know, very, very solid, if not uh, uh, very good. So maybe they see what they want to see um, from him before they get promoted. But it was certainly an interesting. And one real quick shout out the fact that. Carson Rockefort, Dustin Dickerson are already kind of above the, uh, uh, you know, rookie ball. They were kind of the first ones out of the rookie ball complex league. So uh, shout out to those guys. Also, Phil uh, uh, Nevins is also in Columbia. Spencer Nevins and uh, Jared Dickey, I believe, is also in. Oh, did he get up there? Yeah, I believe so. So, yeah, shout out to those guys. I mean, those guys were probably all pretty fast-tracked. And Duck- Dickerson going to Quad Cities already was kind of like a, uh, an interesting thing of note, I thought. Well, he was I'm pretty sure he was like around. a fifty. Yeah, I think he was like a fifty-year guy or something like that. Like, yeah, he was, like, he was, he was yeah. he was a senior or super senior. So yeah, like yeah. that makes a ton of sense. Send that dude to high A, let him figure, and that's kind of like the high figured out sink or swim type. Mm-hmm, sure, of, yep. um, 
and that's kind of that scenario. So, well, I wanted to say one more thing on Gavin Cross. Like, I'm not, I'm not like DefCon Five alarms, but it is concerning. It's noteworthy. It, yeah, it is noteworthy. And if he go, like, I, I think at this point, like anything he does in Double A, I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna kind of move on. But if by the end of May of next year, we're still looking staring down the barrel of an 85 or 90 way to run creative plus in double A. Like I think it's a, a lost pit. Like heaven has an outer on that same timeline. Yeah. Thing. Like if by the end of May next year, both of those guys are not showing signs like serious signs of improvement that I'm going to sell the already low. Like I didn't like the Mazzucato pick the cross pick. I thought was a good one, but like, you can only get so long of a leash before you have to step up and end of May next year. That's a good timeline, Joel. I like that. Yeah. What was uh what was your minor league uh spotlight there, Jordan? Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll get us out of here on this note. Like Nick Lofton, the number three prospect per pipeline in the Royal System, he's been like a man of mystery this year because like he didn't play from the end of May until like July. He had like a whole month absence from the lineup. Um on the year slashing 327 327 that might be a typo obviously that means he wouldn't be walking at all um 454 his way to runs created plus is 90 walking seven percent of the time um 11.6 strikeout percentage 11 home runs 45 ribbies four stolen bases since he got back on july 3rd 295 390 432 so the ops if my math is correct is 822 i think and then 108 way to runs created plus the walks and strikeouts almost identical it's 14 to 12 uh, strikeout to walk he's sacrificed some power so I find that interesting but he's also getting on base at a good clip and making good contact on the ball and just getting on base more often easing himself back in started off a little slow um, then defensively he's logged 358 innings at third base 133 at second and recently started playing left field. I think he had one game out there either this week or last week. So not like a huge overarching thought on Nick Lofton, but I know he was a guy that people coming into the year were like, hey, he can come be on the Royals team this year and produce. And like the loud contact is going to be there and the pop is going to be there. And earlier in the year had a little bit more power, was driving the ball better, but not getting on base a ton. Now sacrificing and finding that a sweet spot and also displaying some defensive versatility. So Nick Lofton is alive and well. He is playing and he's, you know, doing a fine job. He's doing okay. Josh, you got any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I love Thick Lofton. Um, I think you mispronounced his name, Jordan. His name is Thick Lofton. How dare you? <laughs> well, I don't know. He hasn't been driving the ball much, so he might not be thick anymore. Well, he's still probably running really well just because those yeah, true. hams, those Christmas hams are uh, <laughs> driving his legs. No, I, I guess my final thought is, again, thanks to Austin Cox. That was a cool interview. Uh, appreciate how he opened up and, and gave us some good stuff. So uh, uh, shout out to him again. Yeah, absolutely. So one last thing. This is regarding the game that is still currently in progress in the Royals and the Red Sox. But Dave Holtzman, the great statistician from the Royals, tweeted uh, this stat via sport at Sport Radar. The Royals tonight became the first team home or away in the history of Fenway Park, 112 years, to record three home runs and six stolen bases in the same game. <laughs> six wow. stolen bases? Six that's stolen bases was a team tonight and three home runs at least. Huh. So that's pretty That's pretty damn cool. Like, again, very arbitrary stat, but I, that's what I love about baseball is arbitrary stats. That's what I love about Dave Holtzman because he's got – that also, He's, he's insane. He's ridiculous. Like, whatever they're paying him, he needs more money. Like, he's mm-hmm. ridiculous, man. That is, that is Bobby, such a good... Yeah, Bobby's got two. Good. Garcia, Waters. Isbell. Isbell. I think... Harris. I'm just thinking out loud very, very shortly to end this. I think in a couple weeks, we're going to have to talk about Drew Waters again. Because he's yes. weird. Again, he's on, like, a hot streak. And then Melendez, we didn't talk about him a ton. But he also has been showing minor signs of life. So, I think... Addition, in addition to hitting the minor leagues, probably at a, a more thorough level next week, we'll probably circle back to some guys too at the big league level. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully, we have some more wins to talk about because this has been a lot more fun. Certainly, a lot more palatable uh, to talk about over the last week and a half, two weeks. Uh, but we thank you guys so much for sticking with us still 
uh, so far this season. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe button on all platforms. Uh, let us know what you thought about what Austin Cox said uh, in the comments section or tweet at us. Let us know your thoughts. And we'll talk to you all next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.